Today on Abounding Grace. If you're in a place where you don't want to decrease, that's a problem. Pride has blinded you to the reality of Jesus and you're missing out on his love flowing through you. Decreasing is necessary. It says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, that Jesus came to serve, to be a servant, not to be served, to give his life a ransom for many. And when John the Baptist says that Jesus must increase, it's true for us too. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Many critics of professional sports point to the selfish play. Some athletes look out for their best interest, even over the team itself. But by no means is that attitude isolated to pro athletes. We see it in virtually every other arena, from the business and political world right on down to the home front and in many of our lives. That's why today's message from the third chapter of John is so relevant to us. We're about to meet a man who put Jesus ahead of himself. A true picture of humility. Pastor Ed Taylor believes we're on the pathway to success in life as we decrease and Jesus increases. There are some things that we wait on the Lord, but eventually God's saying, you know what, you just need to take a step of faith. I've led you to these two places, so take a step of faith and decide and do something. Do something. And we don't always wait for a dream or a vision, although on some we do pray for quite a bit. We don't always wait for three verses of confirmation to be perfectly in order before we act. But we regularly take steps of faith. We just step, maybe, I think this is from the Lord. And we're going to step out in faith. And you know what? When you step out in faith, you will soon find out why the Lord would have you to take that step of faith. Because when you take a step of faith, depending on the Lord and believing you heard from him, you never fail. It's not a failure. It's like, well, but, but I thought, I thought that when I took, took a step of faith, um, that it would, just, it would just happen the way I want. No, 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 you took the step of faith and God has used your willingness to obey to reveal a part of himself to you. And sometimes that's failure. Sometimes it's a step out and you go, oh, that's not from God. Oh, okay, now you know, you know you have an added piece in your personal walk with him of, you know what, God doesn't want you there. He doesn't want that coming from your life. And so much of we do, this is exactly what we do. The steps of a righteous man, the Bible says, are ordered by the Lord. And so, well, maybe you're here today. You go, man, I think I have a calling to be a missionary. Ed, where should I go? Where should I go? Well, I don't know. We should pray about it. But while we're waiting on the Lord, why don't you go to McDonald's? McDonald's? Yeah, there's a lot of people there. Why don't you go share the gospel at McDonald's? Grab a Big Mac, sit down with somebody, and, and, and share the gospel. Well, no, I'm called to the mission field. I know. So step out in faith and start. Somebody make eye contact with you, share the gospel with them. Missionary. Yeah, but I think I need to take a class. You don't need to take a class. Just take your Bible. Show up at McDonald's, look somebody in the eye, and say, you know, I was thinking about French fries the other day. I see you've got French fries in your hand. You know, I don't know how you're going to do it. You you be creative. But you see, you've got to take the steps of faith now. You know, if you want to be a long-term missionary here, we're 
developing things that will help you prepare for that. We're putting things together to help you step out in faith. And, and we want, we're putting things together so that while you're in a controlled environment here within your church, you are able to exercise your gift so that you can step out in faith. And if you fail, you can come back to someone you know, close and we can talk about it. And we go, what were you thinking? And how did it go? And, and train you and teach you so that when God does take you across the world, you'll have, you know, we can't perfectly prepare everyone. We don't, we don't even know what that looks like. But we can do as much as we can with this time that we have with you to prepare you and equip you in the word of God. And then you will launch out, ultimately, trusting in God and relying upon his Holy Spirit wherever you go in the world. And taking that big of a step really does, is built up by taking smaller steps here while you're on the way, the Lord will lead you. So it's very natural. Why were they baptizing? Because there was water there. There was water. I love what John Corson says on this. Pastor John is up in uh, Applegate area of Oregon, and he writes in his commentary, uh, Augustine said it best, he said, when when he wrote, love God with all your heart and do whatever you please. If you truly love God with all of your heart, your desires will be in harmony with his will. Therefore, I encourage you to trust the Lord to use your desires, interests, and abilities in his naturally supernatural way to bring joy to your heart and glory to himself. So there doesn't always have to be some huge revelation of God in order to take a step of faith. Take the step of faith based on what you have. Now, now they're baptizing. Verse 25. Then there arose a dispute for between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And Jesus answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Now, let's start from their conclusion since it sheds light on why the dispute actually arose, the conclusion that they have is that all are coming to him as if they were losing disciples. You you get a sense of competition here and concern and comparison. John, your ministry is dwindling because now that Jesus is here, it seems like more people are going to him and his disciples. And it started with this division, you know, this this concern between the Jews about purification, uh, which was a doctrinal issue, and I can see the discussion being doctrinal, and what about the purification? And, but they're probably referring to baptism, uh, but it could also have included the ritualistic purifications of the Jews. They could have just been arguing. We don't know. We just know what they said. It's about purification. But in verse 26, the dispute with the Jews, they then run to John with the conclusion that Jesus is taking everyone away. The atmosphere is filled with despair and anguish. And John's response would either incite the division or calm it down. He had, it was his, he had the ability to make it worse or to make it better because there was already conflict. And there was always this sense of a change. Now, is this a good time to be reminded on a brief way that when somebody comes to you with bad news, with gossip, uh, with slander, with talking bad about somebody or, you know, something like this. You know, somebody goes, whoa, there's a new church in town and everybody's going to that church. What are you going to do? You know, whatever it might be. It could be a problem. It could be slander. It could be anything with the possibility of division. You can shut it down right away. Or you can participate in it. It's your choice. 
You can shut it down. You, go, you know what? I don't, I don't, until the person's in front of me, can I call the person here? I love to do that. And so people don't come to me anymore, but I love to do that. Just, I got my phone. I'm with it. I have my phone. What's their phone number? We'll just get them on the phone. And then you could talk about them all you want with them listening. Oh, no, pastor. No, I can't do that. Well, then I don't want to hear it. I don't have a chance to talk to them. I don't know anything about them. Uh, the Bible says the first one to plead his case sounds right until his neighbor comes and reproves him. So, you know what? I don't want to be a listener. I don't, want, I don't want to be a part of your gossip and your problem. I don't want to be a part of it. I want you to get right with the Lord and just go make things right. It's none of your, probably none of your business to begin with. But, you know, we love the juicy tidbit, the Bible says. We do. And we have to be so careful. You know, you want to be careful when people are slandering and talking bad about people. You want to be careful when they're talking bad about leadership or pastors or whatever. You want to be careful. I'm not saying it can't be true. I'm just saying if somebody's slandering and gossiping about it, it probably isn't. Because if it's true, there's a right way to handle things and not a sinful way to handle things. And how careful we need to be. This is very similar where they come and they're trying to get John against Jesus. That's really what's happening here everyone's coming to him. And if you'll notice at the end of verse 26, there's an exclamation point that this is an issue. Everyone's coming to him. There's a problem. And it's not true, by the way. Did you see? Everyone wasn't coming to him. It wasn't a true statement exactly. It was their perception of it, but it wasn't true because we just read that John was baptizing people. So not everyone was going. There wasn't all, but there, there is this tendency of exaggeration with gossip. And that's what you see here. This concern. That, oh, we have a concern. Things are going, not going on. What are you going to do, John? Everybody's going to him. It's not true. It's not true. And I suspect the latest gossip that you've heard is not true. And be careful. Because you don't want to be a spreader. You, you know, if you listen to gossip and you enjoy it, you're just as guilty as the person sharing it with you. And you need to, you know, one of the, it would be such a great thing if we as the church would rise up and just shut this stuff down. And there would be far fewer people hurt. And you just shut it down. Just look the person in the eye and go, you are a sinful gossip. <laughs> When's the last time you did that? <laughs> I said, I wouldn't have any friends if I did that. I wonder what kind of friends gossips make. You don't have to be as bold or direct as that, but you can be as in your own personality. Tell somebody, just look them in the eye and go, I don't want that. And John, he does a great job. He, he, he doesn't take the bait. Instead, notice what he does in verse 27. A man can receive nothing as it, unless it's been given to him from heaven. You know what he says? He says, what I get to do is a gift from God. And if I get to, it, he's essentially saying, if I get to do it with one or I get to do it with a hundred, it doesn't matter to me. Because what I get to do is a gift. A man doesn't receive anything if God hasn't given it to him. Anything. James would say it this way in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And so all that we have and all that we've experienced is a blessing. Don't take it for granted, church. Not only that, notice the next thing he says. So basically, I have these numbered out. If, again, for you note-takers, here's his response. Number one, he says, this is a God thing. What you're describing, you want me to be upset about, it's a God thing. So I'm not going to be upset about it. I'm just glad I get to do anything. God's been so good to me. Number one. Number two, he repeats what he said earlier. He said, you yourselves bear me witness, this is verse 28, 
that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He's repeating what he said earlier when Jesus first came on, and he says, hey, look, the Lamb of God that takes away... He's saying the same thing. He's saying, not only is this a God thing, but number two, I'm just a voice. That's all I am. I, I already told you guys that. You bear witness. You've already heard me say that. And John just like, hey, I'm cool with Jesus baptizing because I'm just a voice. He was perfectly, this speaks of his contentment of being a voice that announces Messiah. He's not trying to compete with Messiah. He's happy. God has fulfilled his word. Not only that, look at verse 29. He who is the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He's saying a couple things here. Number one, that guy that's baptizing, you know, that Jesus that everyone's going to, he's my friend. I'm very happy for him. That's my friend. You're talking about my friend. He's not my enemy. You know, you hear about something going on in town with another church, and you're just like, oh, it's so exciting, it's so wonderful. And, and it gets reported, thousands and thousands of people. And then you come back, and you might come to me, Ed, did you hear about that? And I go, yeah, yeah, that's my friend. That church in town, that's my friend. I'm glad thousands of people got saved there. It's good for our city. It's good for my friend. And with many of the churches in town, I am friends with the pastor. So I can literally say, that's my friend. I'm so glad for them. My joy is fulfilled. I came to the city. I moved here with my family. All five of us, we came here to be sold out to serve this city. So when another pastor is here and is sold out selling that, serving this city, that's my friend. Very happy about that. But even then, he uses, John uses a much closer picture about the bridegroom, you know, the friend of the bridegroom. Like, this is a, you know, you only have a few people in your wedding party. This is something very special. This is something very close. He says, I'm his friend. I'm his friend, and I'm happy. I'm happy he's baptizing. It's a good thing. Not only that, verse 30, this is one of the most, do you have this highlighted in your Bible? I hope you do. John says, you think he's baptizing more than me? Well, guess what? He must increase, and I must decrease. That's the order with Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. That's the fourth thing that he says here. This is, it's, it's, it's like John saying, this is the way it should be. This is the way it's supposed to be. People are to be drawn to Messiah and not to me. He needs to baptize more, and I need to baptize less. He, but, but that's the context. In the broader picture, it's like, hey, there's going to be a time in the Gospels where John the Baptist fades off, and it's going to be completely focused on the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, we could say this. It's in these seven words that we find freedom to be used of the Lord. You're looking to really find that place of strength in your life, then this is it. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's where freedom is. I'm just here to do what God's called me to do. I'm not interested in all the other measurements and numbers. And hey, I'm God, Jesus must increase. The less attention I get, the better. The more attention Jesus gets, the better. In my life and also in yours. Hey, here's the problem though. If we were to measure out the mistakes that we've made in our lives, it's simply because we've wanted to increase. And by that, the influence of Jesus and the power of his spirit decreases in our lives. We want to increase. Our our pride would want to draw attention, would want us to be the focus, would want us. And and if if you're in a place where you don't want to decrease, that's a problem. Pride has blinded you to the reality of Jesus and you're missing out on his love flowing through you. Decreasing is necessary. It says in Mark's gospel chapter 10 verse 45 that Jesus came to serve, 
to be a servant, not to be served, to give his life a ransom for many. And when John the Baptist says that Jesus must increase, it's true for us too. Your relationship here in this fellowship family, in this church, it can't be about the church. It can't be about the church and not about Jesus. Because the church is much bigger than this little piece of property on the corner. It's, it's, like, it's, it's just so much bigger. God, God's doing a work around the world. We get to be a small part of it. And so when we talk about being all in, we are all in for the things of the Lord. That we are committed to him. And this happens to be the fellowship family that we're a part of. And it's a glorious thing to be a part of. But you have to learn of the increase of Jesus and our decrease. And if this is backwards in your life, then pride has taken root. And God will deal with pride, of course, if you don't before him. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony is certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give his spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Paul said the very much same thing when he wrote to the church in Colossae. There's no need for competition. There's no need. Jesus is from above. He's superior. The author to the Hebrews said the same thing. Paul said it over and over again. Peter gave it as well. This is the testimony of every true believer that Jesus, he gets all the attention. He is the one that will give his life. You see, Jesus, when he came to teach, he didn't speak about theories or philosophies or maybes. His words weren't filled with guesses or hunches, as many of the false religions do today. Well, you know, maybe, and this is what I feel, so therefore, you know, there, there's, a, there's a wave of, I, I see within the church today, there's a wave uh, within the body of believers, and you could have even bought into this too, of making your decisions on a pragmatic level. Right, we talked about this last Wednesday because it's logical and it makes sense and it should benefit, you know, if I make this decision instead of making your decisions biblically. Because if it's biblical, then it will be pragmatic in the eyes of God. But if you figured it out and I figured it out, you go, if I do this and I do this and, the, you know, this just seems to be the right way. You know, there, there's so many people uh, dealing with this sin or that sin. You know, if we just choose not to talk about it, we could reach so many more people. Well, where is that in the Bible? Where is that? I mean, to me, the Bible answer is the opposite. Jesus came and spoke about the most difficult things in people's lives, and then he gave you the hope to get out of it. He didn't avoid stuff. I mean, we're going to see in a couple weeks here where Jesus uh, meets that woman at the well and she's got all kinds of sexual problems, sexual sin problems in her life, all kinds of relationship issues, uh, all sorts of things that she's been living with and the city knows all about it. The guys and the, you know, the, the, the wives of the, the lives that the, she's destroyed, she, they, they all know about it. And so does Jesus. And there he is sitting at the well talking about the things of life. And then for you guys that read ahead, you'll see he'll turn the corner and he'll go, Go call your husband. And she's like, whoa, I don't have a husband. I know. And he started laying out everything. And, and as he laid out everything, she was enraptured by this prophet 
who spoke to the very issue. He didn't avoid it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't walk around it. He didn't go, you know, I could probably reach her if I just avoid the big issue in her life. No, he went right at it. And his parting words were to her words of freedom, remember? And I'm giving the whole message away. Like, this is a bonus for the future. But he gave, he gave the words of freedom. He said, go and sin no more. That's your way out, sister. It's not another man. It's not hiding. It's not living with them. It's not another relationship. It's not more booze. It's not prostitute. It's not, none of the things that you've done. This is here. You want the freedom. You want your life to be changed. And it's kind of like what God's saying to us. Just go and sin no more. Forsake it. Turn away from it. And that's how we end the chapter. You know, he's elevating Jesus in verse 31. He's validating Jesus in verse 32. In verse 33, he's encouraging those that have listened to him. He's giving the direction, you know, where the voice is, where he's getting. You know, he's not speaking philosophy. He's speaking directly from the Father out of love. In verse 35, and he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. John's now saying the same exact thing. Now, before we leave, there's just another thing. We could develop this as a message on its own, but we're not going to. But I'll give it to you so you can look at it and maybe develop it for yourself. In John, there are three uses of the word must. Some of you already know this, but let me show you, to show you them because it's very good for this topic, you know, for this chapter, not to miss them. So in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. This is the must, or what's been called the must of the sinner. The message of Jesus is not about giving us list upon list to do this and that. The, the, the must of, to the sinner is that you must be born again. Not, not religion, but regeneration. Then go to verse 14. We go from the must of the sinner to the must of the Savior. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must... The Son of Man be lifted up. There's no other way of salvation but through Jesus. There, there isn't. You're not, you're not going to be able to make it with your own philosophy and, and what you've made up or some, something that you've come to or somebody's told you something and it's all other than Jesus. No, this is the must. He must be lifted up. And therefore, he's made salvation rather easy for us to accept the gift. You must He must be lifted up. You must be born again. And then verse 30 is the last one. This is the must of the servant of God. We have the must of the sinner. We have the must of the Savior. And now we have the word must of the servant. And that's what we looked at in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. There is a need, like John, we all have to get out of the way and make sure the focus of our lives is on Jesus. We live to share the love of Jesus with others. We live to be vessels of honor. And if you're looking for greater use and you're looking for greater influence and you're looking for greater contentment and you're looking for the greater things of life, here's the way. You must decrease and he must increase. It's a must. <laughs> this is the way it is. Just as, just as powerful as you must be born again, just as powerful as Jesus must be lifted up, Friend, you and I, the way, the pathway to freedom, the pathway to growth, the pathway to spiritual success is that he increases and we decrease. Thank you for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. We're really excited about this month's offer. It's a book written by Chuck Smith. It's Love, The More Excellent Way. We say and sing that love makes the world go around, that love is the answer, and all you need is love. But what is love, really? And why is it so hard for so many to find? That and more is explored in Love, The More Excellent Way. And we'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to the Gospel of John next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.